0: It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement. Investing. taxes You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. You can probably hear the excitement in my voice because tax season is officially over. And yes, this is me. No energy drinks or anything here. This enthusiasm is truly because... I feel like the, the rain clouds have parted, that um, the sun is out, and times are much better now that tax season's over, and I appreciate you guys being so patient with me. I know that we always try to get these shows out every Monday, and you can imagine, um, unfortunately, the day job kind of outweighed doing the, the weekly podcast, so these things start showing up Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and what we're going to do to get things back on track, next week we're going to release our new show. We're going to do this one today on Wednesday. Next week we're going to open up a uh, a new show on Tuesday, and then the following week we'll get back on the weekly Monday schedule. But I want to give you guys kind of a heads-up. Thanks so much for being so patient, listening, and um, still supporting the show, even though um, the day job, like I said, is getting in the way of this this fun hobby that we do called the Money Guy Show. And just for those who are just now tuning in, I know we're constantly picking up new listeners out there on – Apple's iTunes and then Microsoft Zune. Um, this is The Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. By day, I'm a fee-only wealth manager on the south side of Atlanta. I'm a certified public accountant and a certified financial planner. And what we're going to be talking about today is the truth about cash. Now, why is this so important to talk about cash? And um, the reason is, is because, let's face it, we're in a volatile financial marketplace right now I mean uh, we've all given back a good bit um, since October when some of this um volatility turbulence um, stormy weather whatever you want to call you can you can put your own little saying in there about how bad things have been we've all given back a little bit and I think it's time from from time to time for me to remind you of, of that we're long-term investors and I'll get into that even more so at the end of the show but I also want to talk to you about cash because a lot of people, I'll have people mention to me, Brian, why don't we just go to cash? Why even try to... to to hang in there in this crazy marketplace when we can just go to cash and sit on the sideline and wait until a better day and then come back in. And remember, I'm a fundamental person that does not get into market timing. I think market timing is a disaster in in the long term. Now, that does not mean you don't try to overweight where you see opportunities, where you can look at the fundamental valuation of companies and try to find opportunities and pinpoint it. That's not really market timing as it is just looking at the fundamental stability of a company. Or, or a sector or an asset class but I do not get into trend trading where you're trying to figure out based upon how many up days, down days is there, you know, some type of cycle we can figure out, you know, is you know, you hear all this I don't even know the jargon that these day traders use. I, I'm so Out of that marketplace. but So I do want to come back and talk about cash, though, because a lot of you are probably feeling that pull to just come back and just go the safe way, the comfortable way, and just go to cash. So in volatile times like this, cash feels so good. Let's face it. It is like that warm blanket that you can pull over yourself during a cold winter day. It just feels so good to be in cash and know that you're safe. But but that comfort truly comes with a cost that you might not see. It's an invisible cost that's out there, and we're going to talk about that. But our first one is to kind of set the table for you. And, and listen to this. If, if, what if I told you there was an investment, and, and I'm, I'm pushing this investment. I've come to you and I said, you know what, I've got the best thing in the world for you. Are you interested in this? And this is this is the characteristics of this investment that, that I'm bringing to you. And I say... This great investment that I've brought to you, it's so good, we've decided to lower the return 40%. That's right. do not I know you want to go up. You want that return to be going up. But don't worry about it. We're lowering the return by 40% over the last year. Also, you know, even though we've lowered, the demand is through the roof for this investment that I'm bringing to you. As a matter of fact, since last year, we've seen the increase of purchases of this product by 32%. You would probably tell me I'm insane. If I brought any type of financial product to you and said, we're going to cut your yield by 40%, but yet people are still going to go and throw an additional 32% of the market into this type of investment, you would think I was insane. But that's exactly what's going on. And you know from the title and what I've already said in the podcast today, I'm talking about cash and money market mutual funds. Money market mutual funds now total $3.1 trillion. That's that's trillion. That's not billion. That's trillion with a T. Um, and, and that takes up to about 26% of investable assets out there in the United States is in money market mutual funds. I think that's quite an interesting thing to look at. And, and where I came up with these numbers, when I talk about dropping the return by 40%, I, you know, as you guys know, I, by day I'm a fee only wealth manager. I use Fidelity Institutional to custody our assets for our clients. And I went and pulled up some client statements. And what I found was if you pulled up the March 31st, 2007, account statements and looked at the Fidelity Cash Reserves, that's the money market account um, that Fidelity uses, the The return last year was right at 5% in March of 2000. So then I go and pull up, because we just got our March 31st, 2008 statements, I pulled those out, and, and the yield for the Fidelity Cash Reserves Fund is now 3.03%. So you do the math on that, and it's about a 40% dropping yield. But yet, I've gone out and done some research, And I've seen that according to the Investment Company Institute, that's ICI, um, and you can go out there and pull research. They have all kind of great statistics out there for you to look at if you're a numbers guy like me. But I went and pulled their research, and I've even got one of their charts. It shows that money market fund flows have actually increased from $2.35 trillion dollars Back in two thousand, you know, two thousand, the end of two thousand six to now at the end of two thousand seven, we were at three point one trillion dollars. That's a that's a pretty significant increase. That's about thirty two percent, and that's a good bit to think about. That we've dropped the yields, yet we've had a, a big increase, and that shows how scared people are um, with the investment marketplace right now. And you got to think, you know, when people ask, "Hey, are we bailing out?" The banks and the lenders and everybody else, you know, the the easy answer, and this is not a creative thought by me. This is by listening to Bill Gross's podcast. Um, he he did a bodca- podcast recently where he talked about, yeah, you can see the bailout and the fact that you were yielding, you know, five to five and a half percent on certain money market accounts, and now you're only getting um, mid twos to threes uh, on on three point one trillion dollars. You can quickly see that there is a cost to the average investor out there by these drops in the interest rates that the Federal Reserve is dropping to try to encourage economic activity. So there's definitely some benefits being provided to lenders, banks, and others who have gotten themselves into some bad financial problems that is impacting um, the, the savers out there who have large cash reserves numbers. To, to pile on to the fact, and also I've got to tell you, there's uh, on the website, if you go to moneyguy.com, and let me give you that information, it's moneyguy.com, you can go pull up the show notes. You can also write me at brian, that's b-r-i-a-n, at moneyguy.net, Remember, you go to the website at moneyguy.com, but you write me at moneyguy.net, so um, make sure you keep those straight. We'll try to to make it all one um, domain address at some point, but right now we got bigger fish to fry as we get all this to you. But if you go to the website, moneyguy.com, you're going to quickly see we have a chart that was provided by ICI. Um, you know, and that's the, make sure I get that right, the Investment Company Institute. You can go out there and they have a great chart that I've put on the website that actually shows inflows and outflows of money market holdings uh, really since 1996. It's very interesting to see how money fund investments have increased, you know, from, from the, the late 90s to, to where they peaked really in 2002. And then they, they slowly started dropping from 2002 to um, about 2004 and five, and then they, they have steadily been increasing to we've now reached the max that they, the highest they've ever been, at the 3.1 trillion dollars at the end of 2007. So it's quite interesting. I'm also curious to see what this number looks like at the end of 2008, because you know, talking about market timing, if we're going to talk about timing, it is quite interesting to see before we got into this recent run-up in, in money market holdings. The biggest time before we went into a decline was actually in 2000, 2001, and 2002. And what was that? That was our last bear market. So it's very interesting to see that the peaks usually hit. Obviously, when we get into these volatile times, people will decide they're going to go sit on the sidelines. The thing I always worry about but is is that thing I've always talked about when markets recover, they recover so quick if you're sitting on the sidelines you're gonna be left holding the bag. You know, I've told you the average Three-month return when a market recovers. Actually, one-month return. I don't know why I threw an extra two months in there. But the average one-month mar- one return from the bottom of a bear market up is usually somewhere in the mid-9% range. And you go back and look through history and look at what happened in October 8th of 2002 through, through November um 7th of, of, of 2002, you can quickly see that month return there is about 15% on the S&P 500. If you go and look at the 12-month average, the 12-month average from the low point of a bear market through the first 12 months um, after, if you're comparing on the S&P 500, is somewhere around 26% is the average rate of return for the first 12 months. You're getting 9% in that first month. You're getting 26 over the full year. If you go back to 2002, October of 2002 through October of 2003, that return there was 33%, even higher than the average that's historically out there. So I say be careful letting your emotions, because sure, you're taking your lumps right now, but if you can stay in there with a truly diversified portfolio, and that's the the secret, diversification will protect you. So instead of losing 10% in the first quarter, Maybe you were only down 4% or 45 to 5%. And maybe instead of being down 16% from October through March, you are only down 7%. And I know 7% is not fun. Nobody ever likes to lose money. But if you're diversified and you're losing half of the marketplace... You're going to recover quite nicely when that market does pop, and it will pop, just like things get over-purchased and overbought, and that's what drives up prices and builds up these bubbles. They also get oversold. And the average market going down during a bear market is somewhere between 25 and 30 percent. If you go back and look since World War II, most bear markets is a loss of 25 to 30 percent. And we're already down on the s and p 500 sixteen percent since October. So you can see we're probably we're either you know in a, in a moderate downturn to maybe halfway through, maybe even a little more than halfway through if we're if we're closer to that twenty five percent range. But getting back to cash, you've also got to take into account with cash the impact of inflation on your cash holdings. Now, inflation really can eat away the long term purchasing power of your cash holdings. And with the latest reading of the Consumer Price Index, that's the CPI, if you like the acronym Alphabet Soup that's out there within the financial marketplace, is currently at four percent. So CPI, consumer price index, is at four percent. That's a good indicator for where inflation is. Now healthcare, food, and energy costs are much higher than they were a year ago. So while cash does provide that stability and, that, that, and it's very important to have cash in your reserve funds, those emergency funds, and because I know that the, the, the job marketplace is starting to soften up a little bit. People are starting to worry about their jobs and how comfortable and safe they are with their, at their workplace. You, you do need to have those cash reserves out there. I'm not saying don't have cash. Do not misread me on that. But I'm saying that you do have to take into account what's going on with your cash holdings in light of the marketplace and inflation. So it, you can very easily see, we, we've had the, the run-up, like I said, of health care, food, and energy costs are much higher than they were a year ago. And you got the stability that cash provides and the comfort it provides during these marketplaces, but there is a cost because you can very quickly see that if you earn 3% on your cash holdings, and that's a good earning. And Today, I guarantee if you go look at your average brick-and-mortars bank account and go ask them what they're paying on their money markets, you're going to be talking about five to seven times lower probably than these averages of 3%. I bet most of you guys are probably getting a quarter of a percent to to maybe 40 basis points or 0.4% a year on your on your money markets at most banks. So you've got to go make sure that you're that you're maximizing your return on these reserve funds. I'm going to get into that in a minute too, but if you take the 3% that I mentioned from the Fidelity Cash Reserves Fund, you pay taxes on that interest that you've earned, and then you subtract out the inflation rate of 4% you can see very quickly that the negative return ranges somewhere between one to two percent on your purchasing power for that cash in the long term. Now I know you probably a lot of you guys are out there saying, "Yeah, but I didn't lose money, you know, because my stock market's down. You know, my stock holdings are down even more than that." And that's what coming back. I know I sound like a broken record. Diversification and having a good portfolio that will weather this storm, taking out a lot of the volatility. Sure, you're gonna have some down markets, but long term you are going to to just wallop cash. Cash is gonna look like it's standing still. Meanwhile you're in a turbocharged jet. You know, I don't even know if there's a such thing as a turbocharged jet, but you're in some, you know, you're in a, a slick Italian sports car that that's passing the, the standing still cash. And that's what you've got to think about in the long term. So now that I've talked to you about the, the power and, and the trouble with inflation in your cash holdings, you've also, and you've got. And I still told you, you've got to have cash reserves because you're crazy not to have cash reserves with this softening, weakening job marketplace, the financial uncertainty out there. You've got to have money in the bank in case the hot water heater blows up at the house or you get into where you need some car repairs. You, you've got to have some cash. So what are you going to do with those cash reserves? It's so important right now to make sure you're maximizing those reserve fund holdings. Uh, making sure you're getting the best, out, the most out you can out of those returns and making sure you're not letting that money sit stagnant in, in some bank account earning you a quarter of 1%. That's just not going to get it done. You're talking about the 1% to 2% rate of return with inflation. Think about if you're doing the brick and mortars where you're only earning a quarter of a percent on your money when you could be earning at least 3% and trying to keep up with inflation. And that's why I gave you two suggestions. If you go to the Money Guy website, moneyguy.com, I put out two website links that you can go click on. The first one is fnbodirect.com. That's First National Bank of Omaha. They have no minimum. They are FDIC insured. And um, they're currently yielding 3.25%, not bad. Um, If you have over $10,000 already saved up in your cash reserves fund, there is another option for you that actually pays just a a tad bit more, and that's WTDirect.com, and um, you can go check them out. They're currently paying 3.31%. So hopefully I'm giving you some options and and some opportunities there to go check out to maximize those cash reserves because you've got to have the cash reserves even no matter what's going on with inflation, but you've got to go ahead and make sure you're maximizing, get the most squeezing as most the most you can out of those dollars, so that you're not getting beaten up too bad by inflation. Now, a lot of you are probably going, "Well, Brian, I'm scared. What am I going to do?" And I got to tell you, I think an even killed way to look at things to make sure you've got the right perspective with your investment money is to make sure you're doing you're still doing that 15% towards retirement savings. That money you're putting towards retirement savings, do not be fearful with investing that money because most of you probably listening to this aren't going to need that money for 20, 30, even 40 years for some of my younger listeners. Who cares what's going on right now because you're not a market timer. It's going to be okay. If you don't think things are going to be okay in the long term, what in the world are you even doing investing in the first place? You might as well just go home, build yourself a bomb shelter in the backyard, and just put your head under a pillow because that's not the what this country was built upon. This country is built upon the small businesses and then the free marketplace of capitalism, and you've got to believe that companies that go through innovation, efficiency, and, and more capacity are going to find some way to make money. Uh, it, it is going to happen. That's what generates tax revenue for the government we're going to be okay in the long term and that's why the money that you're putting away that 15% that you're putting into your 401k's your 403b's your roth ira's your roth 401k's you've got to be putting that money aside let's face it social security's a joke not going to be here for us in the long term don't let your emotions keep you from getting these shares especially with most of these retirement plans you're buying in monthly anyway keep that going Because you're probably, in the long term, we're going to look back and go, man, those were some cheap shares we were buying back in 2008. I want you to have that philosophy on the retirement stuff. Now, once you're doing the 15%, and you've got your cash reserves already filled up, so you're okay with your job and everything in case something happens there, or you're getting a car accident, or your hot water heater breaks, you've got enough cash reserves you might want to think about after you're doing all the retirement savings and taking care of those cash reserves, you might want to come back and look at your mortgage interest. Because if you're one of those, you know, maybe you want to prepay some debt. Make sure, you know, and you can go look at, you know, Dave Ramsey does a great job with his baby steps. And, and, you know, sure, this is inspired. I'll give you this real quick is, you know, you need to have that $1,000 in the bank. After you get your $1,000 saved up, you got to pay down those credit cards is step number two. After you get the credit cards paid off, step number three is you got to come back and you got to build up, you know, a three to six month cash reserves fund. After you've got that, then you can come back to the, the, the retirement savings. So I'm telling you, if you're one of those people that's already saving 15%, already have your cash reserves, I think you can prepay, you know, your mortgage. You can prepay um, those type of things and not feel too guilty about it because probably if you're one of those people that's already doing 15% and you already filled up your cash reserves, you probably make enough money. You can't do the Roth IRA. Any, I mean, you can't do. Um, I don't know why I said you can't do the Roth. You probably can't do the Roth, but you also are probably not getting to take that mortgage interest down your tax return anymore anyway because you have what's called alternative minimum tax. You're one of these people that's paying alternative minimum tax, uh, meaning that the government has decided that you make enough money that they're going to take away a lot of your itemized deductions that's your mortgage interest that's your state tax deduction uh, as well as some other things. Um, you might go ahead and want to consider after you're doing the fifteen percent for retirement paying down your mortgage a, a little ahead of schedule that way you get the the comfort of knowing that you're retiring debt quicker in these uncertain times, and I'm willing to go with you on that. I think that's an even-kill approach, um, and you don't have to feel like you're trying to time the market either because you're still putting that 15% towards retirement. So I hope that makes sense. I'd love for you to go check us out on moneyguy.com. I also want to thank you guys for writing the incredible reviews you have been doing on iTunes. That has helped us Get pushed back up on our our rankings within iTunes, and and that means a ton to me because this is a grassroots hobby. I don't get, you know, I'm not making um, enough to pay the bills doing this. I haven't even paid for the equipment yet. You know, I've paid for the equipment, but this hasn't generated enough to pay for it. This is truly a hobby uh, um, that I have a passion for. I'm doing this, guys, to try to. To, to help you out, I know a lot of you love to get the information um, that is usually reserved for the people who can afford a wealth manager. And I'm trying to level that playing field. And I want to thank you guys for taking this ride for over the last two years. You've been great to me. You've been patient. You've been very supportive. Please keep that up. Tell your friends, family, anybody you think that could benefit from listening to The Money Guy Show Pass it on, because I'm telling you, I think that we can change the world financially, especially here in the United States, even though we do have listeners outside the United States. I know we can change the way people think about money if we keep doing the right thing, and that's what we're asking you to do. So I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Until next Tuesday, remember, next show is going to be on next Tuesday. May God bless you with good health, good wealth, family, and friends. I'm your host for The Money Guy Show, Brian Preston. I'll talk to you in about a week. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast.